The uh, cycle of rabbinic life is often always thinking about what you're going to talk about next week. And so starting on Sunday, it usually fills my mind. I'm going to be standing in shul. Pre-pandemic, there were lots of people in the building. There's lots of people watching now. And so the thought always comes in, what am I going to speak about? Some weeks are richer with ideas than others, depending on the Torah portion and other things. I have to be very honest and confess to you, I didn't know what to talk about this week because nothing happened. The truth of the matter is, this uh, saga of the American election has been going on for quite some time. And uh, I wouldn't be at all disclosing things that I shouldn't disclose, that my email inbox was filled, as was my phone text message box, um, with people calling me up and asking me what to make of it. And I have to tell you something as well, that for myself, if you couldn't hear in the accent, I am by birth an American. I lived in New York for 18 years uh, before going to Israel and then coming here. And so uh, I consider it one of the unique duties of my citizenship to, to vote. I vote uh, in the States and I vote here in Canada. Israel does not have absentee ballots. Uh, you, if you don't live in the country, you don't have a right to say anything that goes on in the country, which is an interesting application for Jews who live outside of Israel, but that's a different discussion. I remember in 2016 that I had trouble sleeping the night. In fact, I have to be very honest with you that I began to see that the election was melting in one way and the way that I had not voted. I felt great distress. In fact, if I can say, it was actually panic. I subsequently found out that I wasn't alone in this phenomenon. There's actually, a, uh, that there is scientific literature on a psychological disorder called post-stress anxiety. If you don't believe me, after Shabbat, you can Google it. They found out that what I was experiencing in terms of this anxiety, where the person who I wanted to win the election didn't win the election, was not exclusive to me that therapists and psychologists and social workers after elections are often flooded with calls and visits by people who are, who are testifying that they are experiencing depression, anxiety, and panic. They found even on a deeper level that the partisanship that forms and frames much of political life, particularly in the United States, but I want to be clear and to say that it's not exclusive to the United States. Canada, in many, many ways, is the exception that proves the rule. That they found that partisanship, particularly in the United States, is all-encompassing, which is to say that people judge the attractiveness of a potential spouse not merely on how they look, but what their political beliefs are. They also found that when you showed people who voted Republican and people who voted Democrat in 2016, if you showed them the famous pictures of Donald Trump's inauguration and Barack Obama's inauguration, Republicans will say that there were more people at Trump's as opposed to Obama's. And the Obama followers will say that there were more people at Obama's than Trump's. The actual facts, we know what they were. 
But this all points us in the direction that the partisanship of what people see is deeply based upon what they believe. The good news is, it's a bit of a tangent, but I'll go there anyway. In psychology, they also have something called the happiness quotient. So they found that for the people whose political party wins, the people, the person that you vote for, if they win, that your happiness quotient doesn't go up. If you lose, it goes way down. Within a week, it all evens out. But with the ever-increasing tone of violence and discreditation, I also began to feel in myself this past week when I was watching the election, certainly intellectually aware that mail-in ballots would be, in many cases, counted later, but the early returns in the evening were showing what appeared, at least at first, and second, and third glance, to be a landslide victory for the incumbent American president, I began to feel that anxiety come back in me. And I asked myself, why? Why do I feel this way? Why am I so caught up in this? Why does it matter so much? Even more so because I live in Toronto. Truth of the matter is, when you look carefully at this, it shouldn't be surprising to us. And what I mean to say to you is, is that the answers to this question are actually everywhere around us. I'm going to give you a few examples. When you go by a car and there's a name on the outside of the car, it used to be that people put the names on things that they manufactured so that the manufacturer would know that they, in fact, had built something. So that if there was a problem with the machinery, that you could claim that this was the machine that you built. Today, we in fact label cars because they're branded items. Because the brand of the car says something more than just the person who manufactured it. When you tell people that you went go shopping in Walmart or in Saks, you're not just telling people where you went shopping. You're also trying to tell people something about the person that you are. When you tell people that you were vacationed in this place as opposed to that place, that you live in this area of the city as opposed to that area of the city, that your children go to this school as opposed to that school, that you belong to Beth Shalom as opposed to the other shuls, you're not just telling people facts about your life. You're trying to tell people something about yourself. And the manifestation of this is seen even deeper in more simple ways. The clothes that we wear, the jewelry that we buy. Think for a moment, how much or how many of them have their labels either on the outside or some symbol of who made it, which is to say that you buy things once again, not simply because you need something, but the choice of what you choose to buy, you buy it because you hope that it will say something about the person that you are. 
that you're practical or you're sophisticated, that you have a flair for taste and fashion, or that you eschew and don't care about those things. The transformation of the things that we buy into not just things that we use, but things that communicate things about ourselves, there's a word in English for that. You know what it is? Materialism. Materialism is the argument that says the things that I buy are not just things that I buy to use. Materialism says that the things that I buy, I buy them because they define and explain me. You know the old Jack Benny joke? If you're old enough, you might remember this. The old Jack Benny was an old comedian before Eddie Murphy. So there was an old Jack Benny skit where he would turn around and a robber came to him and said, pointing a gun, and he would say, your money or your life? And Jack Benny just stood there, frozen. And the robber says again, your money or your life? And he doesn't say anything. And the robber says, well, what is it going to be, your money or your life? And Jack Benny says, give me a moment. I'm thinking. Which is to say that in its most gross manifestation, which is actually close to our manifestation. The things that we own, that our lives are inconceivable in many ways without them. And that's the explanation of materialism. But here's the catch. Materialism is found in not just the things that you own, although the word materialism is based on material, right? On a deeper level, people can be materialistic about the things that they believe. That the, that the things that we believe, the ideas that we hold on to, that we cannot imagine our lives without them, that they are inconceivable without them. So actually, when you think about it, over the past 30 or 40 years, Western materialism has reached an apex that would not have been conceivable 30 or 40 years ago. So is it really surprising that politics and religion has become radicalized to the point of materialism in the eyes of people? That if you don't believe what I believe, that if something threatens to change what I believe, that it is catastrophic in the end of the world, is it any surprise? I don't think so. The danger deeply embedded in this is a deeper awareness of what ills our society. We like to think that we are so involved, evolved, and so polished, and so refined, and so educated, and so scientific that we're above these kinds of impulses. But if anything that we learned this past week, it's a reminder that we're not. We have the orientation and ability to be as tribal and as frightened and as clanny 
as our ancestors did thousands of years ago. So this past week on Tuesday evening when I was watching the TV set for way too much time and my head was spinning as John King kept going back to that magic board, this county, Cook County, back to Cook County, into Cook County, out of Cook County. I had to turn the TV set off. And as I felt that panic come back inside of me, I remembered this teaching. 2,000 years ago, there walked in this earth a brilliant Jewish scholar. His name was Philo. He lived in a city called Alexandria, Egypt. Philo of Alexandria wrote a commentary about the Torah portion that Max read this morning. He explains the life of Abraham of Abraham by telling us that at the very beginning of Abraham's life, when we encounter him, that he is told to pick up and leave where he lived, which was ancient Mesopotamia, and that he was to go to a place called Haran. And Philo says that Abraham was told to pick up and leave Mesopotamia, which was a place that only worshipped the physical world, the gods of the sun and the sky and the rain and the water, and he was told to go to a place called Haran. And Philo says the word Haran is actually in Hebrew the word Horin, which means holes or the empty spaces. In life, if we want to have something greater than what we can see, we have to reach and imagine the things that we can't see to go beyond our senses, to be free from those things to let go of the things that we think define us and realize that the things that we can't see are the most defining things of our lives. Shabbat Shalom.